This is Kenny Green, the lead pastor of City Light Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith as we dive into the life-changing, life-giving Word of God. I hope you enjoy this message. Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful for you, for always loving us and chasing us and pursuing us. And God, even when we've turned our backs on you, you've never turned your back on us. And God, we praise you for that. God, we pray as we dive into your word, God, speak to us with truth, love, and grace, and mercy that we would leave here differently than we came in. God, clear our minds of any hindrances or distractions that might come against your word from doing its full work. God, would you prepare the soil that the seed of your word would fall on soil and produce much fruit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. High five three people and say, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Want to take a moment and welcome you to City Light Church. How you feeling, Chattanooga campus? You glad you came to church? I want to take a moment and welcome our Mont Eagle campus, our online campus. Many people that will be watching this online today, especially now that you've shared it. All your friends and family are watching now. Can we just give God a crazy five-second praise wherever you're at, in your car, in the room, in the house? Give God a praise. God's moving so powerfully in our church every week. It's just amazing to see what God is doing, what he has been doing, and even out of expectancy over what he's about to do. I just can't, I just can't hold back the excitement. It's so amazing to be a part of all that God is doing here at this amazing church. Hey, it's going to be a special day. It's going to be a powerful day today. We're kicking off a brand new series. Anybody love new series? Come on, anybody love new series? So today we're kicking off a brand new series entitled Different. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be different. I think this is a, a timely word for our church. I think it's a timely word for the universal church. Because what we need to be reminded of these crazy times that we're living in, that the church and followers of Jesus have been called to live differently than the rest of the world lives. That there should be a difference, that you should see a contrast between how we live our lives and between how the rest of the world lives their lives. We don't live like the world lives. We don't believe like the world believes. We, we don't panic like the rest of the world panics. Amen? We don't get stressed out about the things that stresses everybody else out because we serve an awesome, almighty, all-powerful God who's promised to never leave us, never forsake us, and he's always right there by our side. So we have a different confidence. We have a different sense of peace, a different sense of joy, and we're just different. People should look at us and just say, hey, there's something different about that person. And by the way, that'll be the most powerful sermon that you ever preach. Not the words that you say, but the way that you live your life, that they live differently and they respond to trials differently. They, 
They, I see them. I see them different in everything. And so then it becomes something that they admire and something that they want to know more about, that, that, that it's different and it's good different, and it will create opportunities for you to minister to people. And I really want to dive into this thought by looking at a book, First Peter, and we're going to be in the book of First Peter for the next several weeks, for these next three weeks today and the next three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Peter. Now, let me ask you just a really deep theological question. Who, who wrote First Peter? I'm just curious, you know, who, Peter, that was one you can just feel confident enough to shout out loud, right? And so uh, if we got that one wrong, we, we'd just really be in trouble, wouldn't we? But yeah, First Peter, we're, we're really deep here at City Light Church, got a lot of depth to our teaching. Uh, but First Peter is written by a man named Peter, and let me give you a little bit of context about Peter. If you know anything about him, you know that he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. But we also know that he is the one disciple that denied Christ three times. We know that he's the one that walked on water for a few seconds, but then he almost drowned, right? And, um, and if we're not careful, a lot of times we give Peter a bad rap. Uh, we talk about all his shortcomings. We talk about all his failures, and, and we may not give Peter the credit that he really uh, deserves. We talk about how he's an uneducated uh, fisherman, a common person who was very impulsive and did a lot of crazy stuff. Anybody relate to Peter? You know, I feel like I can relate to Peter maybe more so than any other Bible character. Uh, but just because he didn't have education doesn't mean he wasn't sharp. Doesn't mean that he wasn't anointed. He was a great business mind. He was a fisherman. He was a tremendous leader. He, he was passionate. He was bold. I mean, when you read his writings in First Peter, he really wrote about some deep theological truth. He's writing about divine election. He's writing about sanctification. He's writing about the mystery of the foreknowledge of God and talks about sanctification, obedience, the blood of Christ, the Holy Trinity. He talks about revelation. He, he covers so much deep theological truth. However, two of the major themes that you see throughout is this. The first one you see that he's constantly pointing us to a living hope in Christ. He talks about this hope that we have in Christ that's alive and and active in our lives. It's a living hope because he's a living Lord. And then time and time again, you will see Peter pushing and challenging his audience to live different than the rest of the world lives. To live different, to look different, to think different, to speak different, to think, to pray different. Really, that our lives would look different. And, and it's really important that we dive in to what was going on on the world stage when Peter is writing this letter. It's very important. It's very significant to our conversation uh, because Peter is writing his letter anywhere between 60 A.D. and 65 A.D. And this was during a time period where Nero was in power in Rome, Emperor Nero. And if you don't know anything about Nero, let me just paint a picture of how wicked he was and how difficult and challenging he made it for Christians to follow Jesus during this time period when Peter is writing this letter. Uh, Nero, he killed his own mother. He also killed his first wife, probably killed his second wife. Uh, he was known as a very wicked, violent murderer. And he was so obsessed with wanting to build things. He loved to build things. He loved to rebuild things. And, and, and he, wouldn't, he wasn't getting approval from Senate. And so uh, instead of trying to get their approval, what he decided to do, many scholars believe, that he actually set Rome on fire. And he set it on fire and began to build all the city, burn the city down and burn all the buildings down uh, so that he'd have opportunity to rebuild it. And so as he's burning the city down for six days, the whole city is just burning. He's burning the entire city of Rome down. And, and really about day six, they're able to get the fire out. And then that fire even comes back. It reignites after about a day or so. And it continues to burn, literally burns down uh, most of the city uh, of Rome. And so when people found out that he had caught the city on fire and that it was his fault that all this was happening, 
he decided that he would just push the blame towards Christians, right? Kind of a double, kill two birds with one stone, get the attention off of me, and then we could even further persecute Christians and try to snuff out this new movement of Christ followers. And so he began to push that blame on them. And because, listen, they were already being killed for their faith. They're already being persecuted. And now that he's pushed this blame on Christ followers, they're, they're even being more so persecuted like never before. And they're trying to live for Christ in this world where they're literally risking their lives every day. So Peter writes to them to encourage them to endure, to not waver in their faith, to stand up against the attacks and to stand strong in the trials and the adversity. But it was a challenge because so many of them were being brutally killed. Uh, in fact, they were being burned alive. They would be dipped in wax and, and caught on fire and burned at a stake and just burned alive. Uh, they were being fed to wild dogs where they were literally eaten alive uh, by a pack of wild dogs. It was just absolutely brutal and it was terrible. And they're going through so much struggle that God's people were beginning to wonder, where's God? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why are so many of us dying? Why is this happening? Why won't God stop Nero? The temptation, the pull to begin to question God and wanting to abandon their faith was just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to not lose faith, to not give up, to keep on following Jesus, to be different under the pressure, to be different when all hell is coming against you, to be different in the storm. So if you're here today and you're going through a struggle, you're going through a storm that is trying to push you towards a place where you want to give up on God altogether. If you are there the least bit, I want you to know God loves you so much he brought you here today to speak this word into your heart. But God has something for you that he wants to speak into you to strengthen you and to encourage you. This message is for you. And if you're here today and your life is pretty good right now and you don't have any major struggles going on, this message isn't for your current struggle, it's for your future struggle. Because the truth about life is this, you're either in one or you're headed toward one or you're just coming out of one, right? You, this life is full of struggle, it's full of adversity, it's full, it's full of pain, it's full of difficult things. And, and that's just true. Regardless of the time period, regardless of where you live at on the globe or on the map, wherever your spot is on the map, you're going to face trouble, you're going to have trials. Life can be difficult. So wherever you are, no matter what you're going through, if you've got some hurt going on, some pain, some confusion, you're going through a trial, I really do pray that God speaks a word into your heart that will strengthen you to give you the confidence to keep on going. Peter starts out the letter in verse 1, chapter 1. He says this, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. I want to stop right there and look at that word foreigners. Because when you look at that word foreigners in the Greek, it can be translated many different ways depending on what type of Bible you have. It could, it could be translated as a sojourner, as an alien. It could be uh, translated as a stranger, uh, here as a foreigner. And, and here's, what Peter, here's exactly what Peter is saying. You need to understand and remember, as a follower of Christ, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. You're just a foreigner. You're just a stranger. You're, you're just an alien. This is not your dwelling place. You are a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God, passing through a temporary world, headed towards a heavenly eternal dwelling where you will be with God for the rest of eternity. And because this world is not your home, you are called to look different, live different than the world is. And so for those of us that wear the name of Jesus, we're called to be different. You live different. 
You have different values, different worldviews, different philosophies, different ideology. You'll have different morals than those around you. You'll have a different belief system. You'll be different as a mom. You'll be different as a father. You'll be different as a husband, as a wife. You'll be different in the way that you raise your children. You'll be different in the way that you treat people that mistreat you. You'll be different in how you invest your money. It will be different in how you invest your time. Why? Because this world is not your home. You're called to be different. And so today we're going to see specifically how we're supposed to respond to trials differently than the rest of the world responds to trials. That when we're in a trial and then someone who doesn't know Christ is in a trial, we should be responding much differently. There should be a stark contrast and how we navigate it and how we respond to it. And we're really going to see how struggles and trials can be a revealer of who we really are. Because you can't really tell what's truly on the inside of something until you begin to squeeze that something. Because whatever's on the inside, no matter what it looks like on the outside, whatever's on the inside has to come out when it's squeezed. And you can't really tell what's truly on the inside of you until you go through something that is bigger than you and stronger than you that begins to squeeze you and what's in you comes out of you. And sometimes we like what comes out of us and sometimes we don't like what comes out of us. And it's a great revealer and indicator of whose we are and who we are. In fact, trials and how you respond to trials are a great indicator if you've ever been truly born again at all. If you have Christ living in you at all, if you've ever truly been changed by the power of God at all, it gives proof that we believe and it reveals the maturity of our faith. It reveals the depth of our faith. So Peter's writing to a group of persecuted believers and and he begins talking about how our response to trials, it it will show the genuineness of our faith and the depth of our faith. And watch what he says. He says this to believers that are being persecuted and that are literally being killed for their faith. Watch what he says. He starts out by this. So be truly glad. <laughs> so be truly glad. Be glad about what, Paul? I mean, Peter. What do you want us to be glad about? We're being killed over here. We're being imprisoned here. We're, we're, we're living underground. We're, we're going without food. You, what do you mean? I don't know if y'all are like me, but if I was in the situation, I might be tempted to just smack Peter in the name of Jesus, you know? Like, like Peter, are you serious? Like, it's that person that just floats when they walk? And like you're going through a struggle, and they're like, well, be truly glad, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you ain't even had your coffee yet. And you, I, just, I just, Peter, like, I hope that the people that are reading this have had their coffee when they're in the prison reading this, right? When they're literally in fear for their life. This is what Peter says. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure trials, many trials, for a little while. For a little while. Now, if you don't look at the context, you may be tempted to think that Peter is telling him, hey, it's just going to be a couple more weeks. No, what he's talking about, he's speaking in the context of eternity. That's what he's speaking. He's speaking context of eternity. Not a few months. This is what Peter is saying without saying it. You could struggle against trials for the rest of your life. But your life in this temporary world is but a blink of an eye compared to the eternity and the glory that you're going to experience later on. You're going to have some trials for a little while. And watch what he says. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. One translation says that these trials 
will prove that your faith is genuine. If there's one thing I want to know, I want to know if my faith is real. If there's one thing I want to know, I want to know if I am saved by, if I am saved through faith by grace, I want to know that I have a genuine faith. I don't want to doubt whether or not I got a false faith. I want to have a genuine faith. If it's my faith that gets me saved, if it's my faith that makes me one with it, if it's my faith and, and by grace that I am saved, I want to make sure that I have a genuine faith. So, so here's my title today. If you're ready for it, just shout amen. Here, very simple. Here it is. I want to take a few minutes and I want to preach on this subject. Something to prove. Something to prove. Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I've got something to prove. Look to your other neighbor, your second choice. And say, I've got something to prove to you too. <laughs> Always set you up for that one. You better turn to your spouse first next time, you know. I'll be your second choice, uh, you know. No. I've got something to prove. I want my faith to be proven and tried and tested. Tested, proven, tried. It's genuine, it's real. And so here's my question for us today, and it may be a strong question, but it may be the most important question that I've ever asked. Because when many people are asked if they are a Christian in this part of the world where you and I live today, typically they say, I think so, yeah, I believe so. I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not any of those things. I'm, I'm a Christian. And the reason why a lot of people want to say that they're a Christian is just in case there is a heaven and just in case there is a hell, I can know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And so everybody all of a sudden just wants to say that they're Christian based on that fact alone. And so a lot of people in our country say that they're Christians, but very few live like Christians. And so what, what if we sent, so what if we did this? What if we sent cameras to follow us all these next few weeks? And we took these cameras and we had them follow you around. And they, and they took record of how you live your life, how you respond to trials, how, how, how you lead your family. How, but what, listen, and they took all of that video and they put it in a court of law. Would there be enough evidence to prove that you are a follower of Christ? Would there be evidence there? Would there be proof there? I've got something to prove. Talk, don't just talk about it, be about it. Because talking about it isn't going to get you to heaven. You can shout about it, you can talk about it, you can sing about it, but until it changes how you live your life, you got to wonder if it ever really sincerely, genuinely happened. I want a faith that can be tested and proven. And so think about this. Peter says these trials will show that your faith is genuine. If there's, if there's such a thing as a genuine faith, that tells me that there is a false faith. In fact, this is honestly my greatest concern, and I hope that everybody that's watching online will listen to this right now and pay close attention because the people in Peter's day, it was so easy to know if their faith was genuine because when they gave their life to Christ, they meant so much business that they knew they were going to die for it. And every one of the disciples except one died for it, okay? Peter would be crucified upside down, okay? because he would not renounce his faith. It's pretty easy, we're pretty sure that he had some genuine faith, right? But for us, in our country, in 2022, in our nation, it can be so easy to be a Christian that I believe many people who call themselves Christians may not be at all. Because they're walking and operating in a false faith. And I'm not here to get you to doubt your salvation today, I'm here to get you to evaluate it. I won't get you doubting it, I'm not here to like be the prophet of doom, gloom today, 
I'm here to just get you to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Because that's what Paul said. He said, examine yourself. He said the church of Corinth, because they were living all kinds of crazy ways. He says, listen, I just want you to know, some of y'all talking it, but you're not living it. And I want you to examine yourself to evaluate to see whether or not you have a genuine faith. And so if there's a genuine faith, there's a false faith. I want to give you three quick false faiths that I've seen throughout the years of being a pastor. The first one, if you're taking notes, it's an inherited faith. Inherited faith. I'm going to heaven because my mama went to heaven. I believe in Jesus because they believed in Jesus. My dad was a preacher, and we grew up in church, and, and I remember going down the aisle. I fell out a card. So, yeah, I'm a Christian. I ain't never really lived like it, but I, I'm a Christian. That's, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist, so I must be a Christian. That's where I'm going to kind of identify and relate to. And, and, you're, and you're putting your eternity and you're betting your eternity on someone else's faith. When it needs to be your own faith, you need to have a personal relationship with Christ. You can't get to heaven riding on somebody else's faith. you got to have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For example, my wife, whenever she grew up in a pastor's home, she was a preacher's kid. Her dad's a pastor, has been for 32 years. And she grew up, and she was a preacher's kid. So for the longest time, as a young child, and even as an early teenager, she thought she was good because her dad was a preacher. And I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die because, you know, everybody else in my house, you know, believes in Jesus. And, and she just thought she was good. Well, until one time she was in a youth service. She's 16 years old. And the preacher starts preaching. The youth pastor starts preaching. And he's talking about some of you think you're going to heaven because your dad's a pastor. You think that you're going to heaven, you know, because, you're, you know, your family's in ministry. And, and you've yet to have your own relationship with Jesus. And you need your own personal faith. And so that night she just realized, hey, I've been walking in an inherited faith. It is a false faith. It's not a saving faith. And she just, with tears streaming down her face, she surrendered her heart and life to Christ, and she's never been the same since. And so she moved from an inherited faith to a genuine faith. And maybe some of you are here today, and you've been walking in an inherited faith, and you need to give that up so you can walk in a genuine saving faith. The second type of faith that's a false faith is shallow faith. Shallow faith. It doesn't have any real depth to it. There's not any really deep roots to it. Jesus is talking about this in Matthew chapter 13, and he's talking about the parable of the soils. He's talking about how some of the seed fell on this type of soil, and, you know, it sprouted up, and it, it did good for a second. But then the cares of this world, right, what did it do? It came and choked it out, and it killed what, what, what had been planted. And, and there was other times where it fell on rocky soil, and the roots couldn't go deep because of the rock. And there were other times that the sun scorched it because the roots didn't go deep. It just ended up killing the entire thing. And so you, you have to understand that whenever we make a step toward Jesus and whenever we even confess Jesus as Lord, we're not really, nobody really knows. You may not even really know if it's genuine until a few weeks, few months later. We'll find out if it was genuine, right? You know that, right? You know, and so, so we, we, we don't know. God knows, but we don't know until later on. We, we can't tell if it was genuine and sincere until there is fruit that is demonstrated that is worthy of repentance, right? And here's what I found. When that does happen and it really does take root and it really is genuine, you don't have to twist their arm to follow Jesus. You don't have to twist their arm to come to church. You don't have to twist their arm to stop doing those things. You know what's happened? They want to do new things. They want to follow God. They want to be in church. They want to serve. They want to get baptized because God has changed their want-tos and changed their desires. That's not who I am. I used to want those things, but I don't want them anymore. And so we have to be careful where we're trying to beg people to keep taking these steps forward. Well, maybe they can't because it never really even happened. And so don't, don't try to force somebody to 
take those steps when maybe they've never even been changed yet. And we, we, listen, we can't skip the fundamental aspect of giving our lives to Jesus and try to get over here to preach in a certain, no, we got to start here. We got to start here. Is my faith genuine? Is my faith sincere? Because here's the fact of the matter is, if we're not careful, we'll come to church and we'll get close to salvation. And man, we'll, we'll really feel the presence of God and we'll get in here and we'll get to shouting and we'll get to singing. And then six months from now, you're gone. And you're not at this church, you're not at any church. You disconnect from church. Not plugged in anyway. You're just, you're, you're living like the rest of the world lives. And addiction pops up or problems in your marriage pop up or problems in your family pop up and there's no spiritual power there's no spiritual victory there because there was no roots that got deep in your life and so it's so important that we don't just become like fans of Jesus but that we become followers of Jesus there's a difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower. A follower of Jesus is going to have some deep roots. And so you take that step toward Christ, you keep taking steps towards Christ. You just keep stepping towards him. And as you step towards him, you'll start stepping towards God's people. And the more you get connected to him, the more you're going to get connected to his people. That's why you got to get into a small group. Because your faith might be shallow, and the only way it's going to go deeper and get broader and get stronger is by getting connected to other people that love Jesus. That's why you got to get into a life group here at City Light Church. That's where you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that was the model in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. What are the apostles doing? What are the disciples doing? They're meeting in the homes together every day. We can't just meet here once a week and think that we're good and we can go and change the world for Jesus. We've got to be meeting together in a small community, a small group, so we can have some deep roots. And I know what you're saying. I'd go to a life group, Pastor, but there's weird people in life groups. And that's just the principle of a life group. There's got to be at least one weird person in it. That's just how life group is. And some of you are saying, well, there's not any weird people in my life group pastor my chosen group or there's no weird people in my group at the Asher's house I, there's no weird people in my online group if there's if you don't think there's anybody weird in your group then you are the weird one in your group because every because every single one's got a weird one and that's okay you've got to learn to do life with weird people and you've got to learn to forgive people and you got to learn to talk about things so you can grow in the things of God and quit isolating yourself and stay stuck in the same place you've been stuck in your entire life. You will never change. You will never move forward. You'll never get deep roots until you get connected to some people that love you enough to challenge you to push you towards righteousness and what it means to truly follow God. Shallow faith wants us to have more depth to our faith. The third one is a conditional faith. It's a false faith. It's conditional. Strings attached. I'll follow Jesus if you make everything good in my life. And we put the cross before us and we put the world behind us, but we kept one hand on the cross and one hand on the world just in case this Jesus thing gets shaky and things don't go my way. I'm going to go right back to living for the world and right back to living how I used to live. And that's not what it means to follow Jesus. A conditional faith is not a genuine faith. And so we want to walk deeper in this thing. So you may be here today, and you might have a shallow faith. You may have a conditional faith. You may have one of these inherited faith. But listen, the goal today is that we would move from that false faith and move towards genuine faith. 
and become all that God has called us to become. And so what I want to do, I want to give you two major thoughts today, two ways God's people look at trials differently than the rest of the world. Somebody shout different. Different. They should look at us and see that there is something different about us. One thing that's different is this. We don't look for a reason in a trial. When you're in a trial, we don't look for a reason. We look for a revelation. While the world is trying to figure it out and look for a reason, we're seeking God looking for a revelation. And when I'm looking for a revelation and I stop looking for a reason, I stop asking God why this is happening, and I start asking what purpose does God have in mind for what I'm going through? That there's a purpose behind this, that there, uh, behind every pain there is a purpose. We need a revelation that what I'm going through has a purpose, that God is going to use this, that I'm going to get stronger, that I'm going to get better, that I'm coming out of this thing better than when I came into this thing. There's going to be something different about me when I get to the other side of this trial. There is a purpose here. My faith has to be tested because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I am concerned today of people of faith and the first sign of struggle comes and their faith crumbles. I'm concerned today that we quit so easily. I'm concerned today because a faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. So test it, Lord. Let the wind come against it. Let the struggle come against it. I've got something to prove. In fact, that was Peter. Y'all remember Peter? He was tested, wasn't he? Time and time again. He even failed a little bit, didn't he? He failed, and then he came back, and he was strengthened, and he returned, and he regrouped, and he was redeemed, and he was made new, and he was completely transformed. And let me show you. Let's go back 25 years prior to Peter. 25 years before Peter is writing this book, there's a conversation that he is taking place uh, with him and Jesus and he gets this revelation as he's having this conversation, and it's really powerful. And so it's in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 32. Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And no matter what comes against you, no matter how hard the enemy attacks you, no matter how much ground you give him, I'm praying that your faith would be tested and be proved. I'm praying that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I'm praying that your faith won't fail. You're going to fall, Peter. You're not going to get it right, Peter. But your faith is going to stand. And when you get back to where you need to be, and when you have turned back, because you will fall, but you will get back up, go out and make a difference and strengthen your brothers. But in other words, Satan wants to test you, and Satan wants to see what you're made of. And here's what I want us all to know today. Don't you think for one second that the enemy is sleeping on you. Don't you think for one second that he's not coming after you and that he's not attacking you and he doesn't want to hinder what God is doing? Don't ever think for a moment that he's not moving against what God's doing in your life. Satan doesn't just want to sift the disciples like wheat. He wants to sift you like wheat and he's out to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing in your life. He wants to test you. He wants to destroy you. And Jesus says, but Simon, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail, that your trials would reveal to you where your faith needs to grow. And when you've turned back, go out and strengthen your brothers. How did God use the trial 
to transform Peter. Because he takes him through this, and it turns Peter into a completely different person. Think about this. In the early years, let's just be honest, Peter was annoying, wasn't he? He's obnoxious. He's always, like, shooting off at the mouth, and he's speaking before he thinks, and he's always stirring things up, and he's causing trouble, and he was inconsistent. He's hot-headed. And, and then years later, what is he? As he's writing this, he's incredibly bold. He's this tremendous leader. He's even patient at times. He's tenacious. He's, he's full of faith. Well, what happened? God used the trial to strengthen Peter. What was one of the big trials? We all remember it. We were talking about it in our previous series. One of the biggest trials he had was whenever Jesus predicted his death. And he said, every one of y'all are going to leave me. And what did Peter say? I'm not going to leave you. All these other losers are going to leave you. And let me tell you about John. Jesus, you can't trust him as far as you can throw him. You can trust me. I'll never let you down. I'll never. I'll die before I deny you. I will never leave you. I'll never. I'm in. And then we know the one that was the loudest is the one that ended up denying him the most. The one that got the loudest and was prideful was the one that fell the hardest and denied Christ not just once, not just twice, but three times. And then Jesus looks at him, and he remembers what the Lord said to him, and he begins to weep uncontrollably, and he goes out and runs away. You know the story. And then Jesus goes to the cross, and Jesus died for Peter's sins, and he died for your sins and, and for my sins, and then they threw him into a borrowed tomb, and, and three days later the stone was rolled away, and the tomb is empty, and Christ is risen. And in John chapter 21, you see this meaningful encounter where Jesus gives Peter this revelation. And, and Jesus is like, do you love me? Do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Then he said, go feed my sheep. And he gives him the assignment and does exactly what he prophesied over him. And so what happens shortly after that? Peter, the one who messed up, the one who denied Christ three times, gets up on the day of Pentecost. He preaches, and 3,000 people were born again into the family of God. What happened? God used the trial to strengthen his faith. To change him into who he was becoming. He got a revelation of the resurrection and it led to his transformation. And if we could ever get a revelation of the resurrection and be truly changed by the resurrection. Not just say we've been changed by it, but truly transformed by it. But when you look at your life, I was this way and now I'm this way and Jesus was in between. I'm different. He changed me. And when the resurrection changes everything about us. You can know that you've got a genuine faith, a life-saving faith, a life-changing faith. So when we're in a storm, we don't need an explanation. What we need is a revelation. That God is going to use this to make me better and to make me stronger. That God is going to use this to reveal some things about who I am and reveal some things to me about who he is. But Peter, he says, listen, I know we're being killed, which by the way, Peter was crucified upside down because he would not deny that he knew Christ. What he did before the resurrection, are y'all listening to me? What he did before the revelation, he would never do it again. Even when his life was on the line, he would not denounce that he knew Christ. Because when you've been changed by him, it doesn't matter what happens to you. 
It doesn't matter what comes against you. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If it wasn't genuine faith, you wouldn't be in this church right now worshiping God. The things that have come against you and the things that have been said about you and the hell that you've been through, but you're still here standing strong because my faith wasn't built on any of that. It wasn't built on this world. It was built on a man named Jesus and because the world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it from me. I'm still standing right now. Because I built my life on the rock. And I've got a genuine, ain't unlike going through some hell to let you know how saved you are, how delivered you are, how real it is to you. Ain't nothing like going through some struggle to let you know who I am and whose I am. Sometimes you got to go through some things. Sometimes you got to go through a storm. Sometimes you got to go through a trial. And guess what? It's not just to prove to you who you are. It's not just to prove to the world who you are. It's to prove to the devil who you are. Good God, who am I preaching to in this church? It's not, I've got something to prove. I've got something to prove. I can't do what y'all are doing over there because I've got something to prove. I can't talk like y'all talk at work because I've got something to prove. I can't listen to the things that y'all are listening to because I've got something to prove. Something has happened to me. I'm different now. I'm changed now. I used to think that way. I used to talk that way, but there's something different about me. I can't even explain it. I've got something to prove. I've got something to prove to the devil. And when you prove it to him, he'll stop messing with you like he has been. Y'all remember Job? Devil came to God and he said, only reason why Job serves you, because all them blessings, all them good things you've given him, you take those away, he'll curse you. He said, let me prove my boy Job to you. Let me prove something to you. Let me let him hit. Job can handle Go ahead. Do this. And then he starts taking things out of his life and destroying his life. And he loses kids. He loses his wife. And he starts losing all these things. He even loses his health. But he never lost his faith. Never lost it. No matter what came against him, no matter what storm he found himself in, he never stopped praying. He never stopped trusting. He never stopped believing. And he never stopped praising. Even when his own wife was against him, he kept praising and living for God. And at some point, the devil stopped messing with Job. Because here's the thing about the devil. When he attacks you, and he will, you feel vulnerable, don't you? Open for attack. You even might feel weak. And unqualified and ill-equipped. But when the devil chooses to attack you, he opens himself up to vulnerability too. It opens him up to a possible defeat. And so think about this. This is what God wants to do. And this is the reason why, the, why God lets the enemy attack you. It's not to destroy you. It's to use the attack to destroy the devil. It's to use it to prove to the devil that you are his and he is yours and that you better just stop messing with me because I'm going to keep on standing and I'm going to keep on resisting. And you come to this house, you ain't winning in this house. I've done anointed my doors. I'm a man of the word. I'm a man of God. I'm a man of prayer. And ain't no hell getting in this house. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I need some men to give me a roar in this house that say, not in my house. I'm a praying man. I'm a worshiping man. I don't care what's coming against me. The devil knows. Don't be messing with me. And he just stops trying after a while. And he'll give up and he'll come back. 
But the Bible says, I'm not just preaching stuff. The Bible says, if you will resist him, he will flee from you. Stop running from him. Stop hiding from him. And stop letting him win so much. If you had stopped letting him win so much, he'd stop playing at your house. My kids, they only play with me unless, unless I tell them they can play with me. I know, I'm a terrible father. Because I don't let them win out there on the basketball court. And I'm like, y'all are, you are mean. I don't let them win. Even Jordan, he's a year and a half. I come up, he's trying to shoot on that little baby girl. I'll come and swap that ball out of hand. <laughs> you got to raise them right. Teach them while they're young. Can't raise weak men, you know what I mean? If I let them win, they'd be begging me to play all the time. I'm going to come out there. I'm, I like to watch because I'm out of shape, you know. So if I beat them all the time, I can come when I want. I know. Pray for me. I'm a terrible father. But I say that to say this. If he'd start standing up to the devil a little bit, and he'd start resisting, he would stop coming to play at your house. Because he knows he ain't got no chance in that place. Stop letting the devil win. You have been given every resource in heaven, under heaven. You have been given the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. You have the keys to listen everything. The authority that you need to go out and walk in victory. You don't have to let him win one single time this week. If you let him win, it's because you let him win. So don't give in to him. Let God flip it over. On the devil's head. You remember the Israelites? And the Israelites, they, 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 they get delivered from Egypt. And they're on the run. And they're headed to the promised land. And then here comes Pharaoh's army behind them. This looks like, oh, they're vulnerable. I got the army behind me and I got the Red Sea before me. And they can't swim. Y'all have been in Egypt. They can't swim. How are we going to get across this river? We're either going to die in the river or we're going to die by the army of Pharaoh. And what they didn't realize, that although they were vulnerable, their enemy was vulnerable. And when the enemy came after God's people, he messed up. Because God oftentimes will set a hook to destroy the enemy. And when God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed through on dry land, Pharaoh and the army thought that they had them. But then the Red Sea swallowed them up and killed every. And they thought God sent them to the sea to destroy them. But God didn't send his people to the sea to destroy them. He sent them to the sea to destroy their enemies. And God sometimes has to put you between an army and a sea to get you to a place where you will finally look up and realize that your help comes from the Lord. To finally get you to a place where you will stand still and see his salvation. And he's not putting you in that stressful moment to destroy you. He's using it to destroy everything that's been chasing you. And he will swallow it up for his glory. And it'll be for your good. So what do we do? We don't look for a reason in the storm. We don't look for an explanation. We seek God for a revelation. The second thing that we do that's different than the world. In a trial, we don't look at our problems. We look to God's presence. We got too many problem watchers in the world today. We love just sitting there looking at a problem. Let me, tell, let me, let me prove it to you. This is how I know we love looking at problems. Last two years, we've had more problems in our world maybe than the history of humanity. And news stations have almost quadrupled their ratings from prior years. 
Because all they do is put problems on the news, and we'll just sit there and look at it. Oh, we love all these problems. We just look at them. We'll sit there and look at the news for two and a half. Why y'all looking at me crazy? Your wife told me you look at that news station for two and a half hours every time that you get home. And we're just looking at problems. We love problems. And that has crept into the thinking of the church. We want to talk about the problems. We want to complain about the problems. We are really good at identifying the problems. But we fail to solve them because we never look to the one that can solve it all. And that's the presence of God. If we would just begin to practice this, stop looking at the problems. Peter, God, stop looking at the persecution. Stop thinking about what could happen and start looking to God's presence. Get your eyes off the problem and get your eyes on the power of God. What I'm trying to say is, is this trial that you're in, the struggle that you're in, if you'll, if you'll lean into it right, it's going to bring you closer to God. You're going to come out stronger with God. You're going to come out more committed than ever before. As Peter continues to write in verses 8 and 9, he says this, You love God even though you have never seen him. That's good, isn't it? You love God even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with the glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Oh, that's the gospel, by the way. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would trust in him and him alone. What, what, what is the gospel? It's the good news of who Jesus is. And the good news of Jesus is not that he came to save you from your problems. He came to save you from your sin. I wish I could get up here and tell you that once you give your life to Christ, you're going to be exempt from problems and struggles. But, but God did not come, and he never promised us a perfect life. He never promised us a life without trials and a life without problems and a life without struggles. The good news is, is God, though, he doesn't save us from that stuff, but he saves us from our sin. He saves us from ourselves. John 16, Jesus said it like this, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. With Jesus or without Jesus, you're still going to have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. What did he say? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. He didn't come to save us from the struggle. He came to save us from something deeper, something bigger. He never said you won't have migraine headaches. He never said you won't have financial difficulties. He never said... You won't have that crazy person that you work with every single day at your job. He never said that. He never said you won't go through crisis. He never said you won't get that phone call in the middle of the night that you wish you'd never got but still came. Never promised a perfect life. The good news is not that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives us our sins. It's the best news of all time. It's the best news the world has ever heard. You're in a trial. You may be tempted to think that maybe God will never put me in something that's stronger than me. This is what we say, and it's what's on our little coffee cups. God will never give you more than you can handle. Y'all know? It's on that little six by eight frame that you got from Hobby Lobby that was 45 bucks. And it was half off. Still costs 45 bucks. Can't even see 
Am I preaching to you? You can't even see the writing. We paid more. God will never give you more than you can handle. And what they do is they misinterpret a verse that says that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. We misinterpret it. Because what I've discovered, what I think the Bible really teaches, and what we experience in our lives, is that God will oftentimes put us right in the middle of something that is bigger than us and stronger than us, so we will finally learn to depend on Him and lean on Him. And that we will experience an intimacy with Him that we would have never experienced apart from the struggle and apart from the trial. And so when you're hurting, the best thing you could do is draw close to Him. When you're desperate, you can call upon Him. Let's be honest, for those that have a false faith, the moment that everything is good in their lives, they stop leaning and trusting in God because that's all they wanted God in the first place for. I'm convinced there are times that God will allow us to feel really weak and helpless so that his strength can be made perfect in our lives. That God will allow you to get to a place that's so low and so devastating and so dark so you'll finally look up and realize that he's your only hope of anything ever changing in your life. And when you press into him, you experience this inexpressible, glorious joy. We have to stop looking for a perfect life and start looking for the powerful presence of God that can pull you through any struggle you face. And the reason I'm preaching this today, and I preach it with passion, and I preach it with my heart today, I'm not preaching about something I read in a book somewhere. I'm preaching about something that has personally pulled me through some of the darkest moments of my life. I know what it's like to go through loss. I know what it's like to go through the fire. I know what it's like to go through things that you cannot really even understand, and it even tempts you to make you ask the question, why is this happening? But I'm telling you right now, in my darkest moments, in my biggest struggles, the things that squeeze me, I have discovered a God that is bigger and stronger than anything that I have faced, and he always pulls me through to the the other side he is tested he is true he has been proven he's got a great track record he's never lost and he's never failed me and if you could open your eyes you would see he's never failed you too he's always been there right by your side and I've been through some struggle much of my life's been a struggle much of my childhood was a struggle but I can see every single time God flips it on the devil's head and what he wanted to use to destroy me, God used it to develop me and to build me and to strengthen me. And I've got some scars from some things that have happened to me in my life. But those scars give me a story of the glory and the power of God that is bigger than anything I've ever faced in my life. And with that comes joy, comes peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that the world can't understand because the world didn't give it. A peace that the world can't snatch away because it came from heaven. It's different. It's different. It's not happiness. It's different than happiness. The world's got happiness. And they're happy as long as everything's happening how they want it to happen. Happiness is based on what's happening. Joy is not based on what's happening. It's based on who he is. Not what's going on around me, but who the God is above me. So we live by faith. That's what we live by. We live by faith. We don't live by what we see. We live by faith. Our faith is not in what we see. 
Our faith is in who God is. In the middle of the trial, I can trust in a good God. I don't look at my problem. I don't focus on it. I get into his presence. It's so different. It's different. It's different. I remember going through struggles without Jesus. It was different. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. Go living for God for a while. You start living for God for a while, you begin to learn. It's different now. I've got a place I can run to. I've got a father that's got his arms stretched wide every moment of every day, and I can fall into him at any second. I know that he loves me, that he has a plan for me, and that he's close, and that he's there. And so if you're here today and you're hurting, you're struggling, you're here today because God loves you. He brought you here so you could hear this word at this specific moment in your life so you can take that step toward him. And when you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. He's going to come running. Like the father in the, product, in the story of the prodigal son, he's going to come to where you are. You've got something to prove. You do. The trial is there to give you the proof that you, the proof that you need so you can know that you truly belong to him. I wonder what your storm is proving to you right now. For some, it's proving that there is an unshakable, genuine faith. So powerful. And God's using it to make it even stronger and even better. There are others of you that may be here today to say, you know what? When the storm came, when the wind blew, the house fell down. And I really feel like I had one of those other faiths. Maybe it wasn't genuine. Maybe it was inherited. Maybe it was shallow. Maybe it was conditional. God's moving and speaking to the hearts of so many people that are here, those that are watching online. God may be revealing to you that this is your moment to leave that false faith behind and to walk into a genuine, life-changing, life-saving faith. I remember throughout my life, growing up as a kid, being in and out of church and hearing about the gospel and, and just being close and just experiencing different things and even saying a prayer and even being baptized a few times as a kid. But as I look back on my life, I realized that I'd never truly been changed. It never transformed me. And I had a conditional faith. It was just like when things were good and when it was convenient, I would find myself trying to live for God. And then, but most of the time I was out living for myself. And there came a moment in my life where I had to realize that if I've never been changed, if I've never been transformed, it may be because I had never genuinely be sa been saved. And that hit me in the brokenness of a jail cell almost 16 years ago where I finally realized I got to let go of this stuff that I've been holding on to that I think is going to get me into heaven and I need to just run to the Father and trust in Him. And I did that. My life's never been the same. It changed me, transformed me. And I want everybody that I ever meet to have the opportunity to experience that. Because we live in a place now in our country today where, like I said, a lot of people say that they're a Christian, but are we living like it? Are we living like it? 
Is there any fruit in our life that something changed? I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us are perfect. You never will be perfect. But there was something different. It was different. There was a change. Because if it is true that the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, that can't happen and you not know it. It's too powerful of a force for it to happen and be uncertain about it. When it happens, you know it. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks for those of you that give generously to City Light Church. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, you can click the link to give now in the description, or you can go to citylightchurch.cc forward slash give. And if God is using this podcast in your life, you can subscribe today. You can click the share button and help us get the word out to the world. Thank you for listening and God bless.